0: the worship team, marvelous, marvelous, thank you guys for doing what you do and getting here early and having somebody else watch your kids for a while and uh, all the things you guys do, appreciate that. Uh, I have referred to it before, but I love that reflection, that response that older people gave at the end of their life when they were asked, if you could do your life all over again, what would you do? And they said three things. They said, I would risk more. I would, I would take more opportunity to realize that the fruit of life is on the limb of life. I would reflect more. I would take time to just pause a little while. I would just want to think about my life. I would want to smell the roses. I would en- want to enjoy the small moments. I would want to be present. And then I would do something with my life that would live long after I'm gone. And I don't know about you all, but those are three things that you cannot do at the end of your life there are three things you have to do now right now you can reflect more right now you can risk more right now you can do something with your life that's going to last long after you're gone and friends i don't know about you but i want to do that and i'm not talking about being a multimillionaire or being in fortune magazine i'm not talking about becoming well known i'm talking about not being in the, i'm not talking about being in the history books i'm talking about being used by god as a difference maker in this culture and in this world, I want to do something with my life right now that would make a difference. That's why I love being part of the church. Because I believe that the church is God's change agent in the world today. We are His hands, we are His feet. We minister to hurting people, we care for people, we show the love of God, we share the message of salvation. And the best thing of all is that God gets the credit for all of it. The church is one institution that has the potential and the power to do everything. That God wants it to do. And when we started Acts as church 10 years ago, I really believed and had a burden for the church. I had a burden for what we were going to be. I saw a vision of what we could be as a church. And and I had a burden for who we would be in the future. And I saw the difference that we could make. Uh, I, I felt this incredible sense of responsibility right from the beginning. I saw a church that was known for its children's ministry that was known for having a love for kids, that God loved kids so much, and so did we. I saw a church that was actually practicing discipleship in its groups and in its life as a a church, and that they were building disciples, they were expressing the love of God and exploring faith in God, and they were experiencing real vital relationships. I saw a church with solid Bible teaching that said, uh, no matter what our opinions are, that's not what's important. What's important is, what does the Bible actually say, and what does God have to say for us? I saw authentic worship, worship like what we experience today, where the people are real and expressive, and they are open before God. I saw a church that offered outreach to the community, a church that serves the needs of the community, finding a need and filling it in the lives of people. And I saw a church that had people coming every week to know Christ every week where people were making decisions to know Christ as Savior. I I saw so many people filling this building or whatever building that we would be in that people were actually coming early just to get a seat because there were so many people. Well, not every dream comes true. (laughs) Y'all don't come early very often, but I don't know. But what I do know is this, that God has fulfilled a lot of those dreams and he continues to help us grow, continues to help us to reach other people. And what I've learned is that it happens not as a group, but as one life, one day at a time, one step of faith after another. And my prayer for you all is that you will be so burdened by what is happening in our world today and so overwhelmed with the call of God on your life that you will want to be part of something great and impacting our world, and it will drive you to your knees. It will drive you to motivate to to be serving and to be reaching other people and to be accomplishing the Great Commission together. And so today we're going to talk about bold steps of faith as a church and as individuals. And this message does apply to us as a church, and I'm going to be talking about some of the things that are happening in our church. And, And I'll make a lot of specific application there, but by the way, it applies to you too. It talks about your life. What is God calling you to do? What steps of faith is God asking you to make right now that are bold steps of faith in your own life? And as we talk about this, I thought about any number of Old Testament characters that I could refer to. I thought about Abraham who packed up and moved, not knowing where he was going. I thought about Moses who went to Pharaoh, told him to release the Israelites, not knowing what Pharaoh's reaction would be. I thought about Elijah calling down fire from heaven though he had never seen it done before, or Noah, who built a boat even though it had never rained. But when it came down to it, I thought Nehemiah in the Old Testament is a great example of vision and visionary and someone who fulfilled a, an incredible goal. And so we're going to talk about walking by faith today, and we're going to use Nehemiah to do that. We're going to talk about the requirements and then the results of walking by faith. Here's some of the requirements. I've learned that faith requires vision. Listen to Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 1. In the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was still in the cita- citadel of Susa, Hannah and I, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jerusalem remnant that survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. And they said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the province and are in great trouble and distress. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. And when I heard those things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. There's the need. The wall of Jerusalem had been torn down. The city was open to enemies, and indeed, it had been destroyed. And and Nehemiah, when he heard about this, he was so moved, he sat down and wept. These were his people. This was his homeland. And he said, I have to do something to help it. One of the things I've learned is that when you have a vision, it usually starts with a problem. There is some compelling need that drives you to solve that problem. What is the need? And how will we solve it? And that's the case with so many visionaries over the years, whether it be Martin Luther King Jr., who, who had a dream based on a problem and wanted to solve that problem. And for us, when we started in Warren County 10 years ago now, when we really got put a vision on our heart, one of the things we did was we did a lot of demographic research of our area. And here's what we discovered. We discovered that within just a few miles of this location, that only 17% of the population around us claimed to have a, a that faith was a real vital part of their life. That it was a very vital, important part of their life. And that meant that 83% of the people, it was either marginal or it was non-existent. And that motivated me because you think about Warren County, Ohio. I mean, we're right here in the what seems to be the belt buckle of the Bible belt. And, and man, people like 17% are very active in their faith. And you know this because you drive by people on the way here. And that motivated me. It motivated me when I thought about that other stat that said, eight churches a day in America close their doors. And I thought about that. Every church building that you drive by on the way to church here, in every town, in every city, and you drive by that, many of those churches are plateaued or declining. But you look at the facility and you look at what was once there and you think, somebody started that sometime. Somebody had a vision to have that started. Somebody sacrificed for that. And so I just thought, while eight churches a day are closing their doors, it's part of the life cycle of any organization. At the same time, somebody has to be on the upside of starting something. And I thought, one of the things that God put on our heart a long time ago was that we were going to launch Access Church, and then from there, we were going to look for opportunities to birth other congregations whether it be through financial offerings or we'll participate in church plants or we'll do stuff internationally or we'll merge with other churches or whatever it takes we're going to be on the upside of starting churches most visions start with a problem nehemiah two seventeen. nehemiah just said to his friends you see the trouble we're in that's the that's the problem Jerusalem lies in ruins. Its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. That's the solution, and we will no longer be in disgrace. He saw the burden, he saw what needed to be done, and he rebuilt the wall. Both faith steps always start with vision, and vision has to be able to see the needs and then be able to see past today or the current situation toward a positive solution. Friends, without vision, without visionaries, the church will stagnate and eventually die. Proverbs 29, 18 says, "Where there is no vision the people perish. Bold steps of faith require people to look beyond the status quo, often to the unknown. We've got to be a people who look beyond our comfort levels, beyond our traditions, beyond the status quo. A people who are willing to venture out in order to accomplish God's will. The great hockey player Wayne Gretzky was once asked, Why was he so successful on the ice? And he said, It's because I skate to where the puck is going to be. That's vision. Robert Kennedy once once asked, some people look, once said, some people look at the way things are and say, why? I look at the way things could be and say, why not? Helen Keller was once asked, what would be worse than being born blind? She said, to have sight but have no vision. If you're fearful, if you're afraid, remember the words of the great poet who writes, thou art coming to a king, large petitions with thee bring. For his strength and power are such that thou can never ask too much. Faith requires vision. Secondly, faith requires courage. Nehemiah 2.1, read this. In the month of Nisan, y'all didn't even know that was in the Bible, did you? The car, it's right there. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year, king Ar- king art Xerxes, when wine was brought for him, I, 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 look, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before, so the king asked me, Why does your face look so sad when you're not ill? And this can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, May the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my fathers were buried lies in ruins, and its gates have been destroyed with fire? And the king said to me, what is it that you want? And then I prayed to the God of heaven, and I answered the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city of Judah where my fathers are buried so that I can rebuild it. Nehemiah was a little bit afraid. He's in the service of the king of another land, and he's going to ask him some big request, could you give me an extended vacation, king, because I have to go back home and build the wall. That took some courage. It also took courage for Nehemiah to make the trip back to his homeland. It took courage for him to rally the workers. It took courage for him to travel through foreign lands to get to where he needed to be. But Nehemiah looked past his fear because he was called to take a bold step of faith. And and friends, in my experience, it is a bit scary to take bold steps of faith. And Ten years ago, when we started Axis Church, I'll never forget leaving the comfort zone of a large church and saying, God. What is going to happen here? Who are you going to send? I mean, how is this going to work? And we started to develop a launch team. The launch team had about thirty-five people on it, and we met people at the Warren County Fair. People like Greg and Heather, who've been here ever since. You've dealt with us for a long time, amen. And uh, but that's where we met those guys. And and uh, and I remember having a big event. We were going to have this huge event, our very first event. We'd had these little picnics in the park. That was it, but. Now we're going to have a big event. We sent out 5,000 flyers. I mean, that's a lot of flyers. you think out of 5,000 flyers, what, you might get 10%. Maybe we'll get, I don't know, maybe we'll get 50 people. I don't know. Maybe we'll get 500 people. I have no idea what it's going to be. Well, you know, we had a magician come, and, and he was going to do a show. He said, you want me to do one big show or, like, do one show, like, five times, like, a little small, like, only do, like, three or five tricks. I said, do small, because we're going to have so many people filtering through here. You're going to have to do it so many times. It's going to be awesome. And, uh, and we had blow-ups in the, I mean, outside, and we had, like, Cinderella and Snow White. Was there. It was great. You know how many people came to that incredible first event that we had as a church? Three. Three. Besides our launch team, a grandmother, a mother, and their daughter came strolling up, like, hey. We were like, yes, like, people, this is awesome. And, uh, but it was so hilarious because our kids in the, in the launch team, they, they didn't know what else to do, so they kept going to the magician that went about every hour. Like, like he did the same five tricks like every hour, you know, like over and over again. And by the time it was over, our kids were like, oh, we know how you're going to do that trick. <laughs> We've seen this so many times. Uh, We have laughed about that, but I have thought back then, I was like, in my mind, I was thinking, we are the worst church plant in the history of church plants. Five, I mean, three people from the community, 5,000 brochures. This is horrible. I'm like looking around my launch team like, look, I'm trying to put on a happy face. but Let's just all be real here. We stink. You know, this is terrible. And I remember that first day where we all came together and we're going to have church for the first time. And I remember standing in the back just going, God, what is going to happen here? I've only got three people coming to that other event. Who's going to come? Man, uh, uh, people just started coming in the door. I didn't know these people. Just started filtering in. Bold steps of faith have fear involved. There's anxiety and there is also excitement. And I've seen that over the years. We move a location, there's fear, there's excitement. We open a coffee shop, there's fear, there's excitement. Every time we do something different, there's fear and there's excitement. We start a young adult service on Sunday night there's fear there's excitement and now as we move forward to merge with a church in Middletown and offer a second location in that area there's fear and there's excitement and you say well God we just need the courage because it's exciting but it's also scary but I tell you what's scarier to me to miss the opportunities and play it safe playing it safe is not an option I heard about this group of young Navy recruits who were undergoing a course in combat swimming, and the pro- program included jumping off a 12-foot high dive. And one of the young recruits was just nervous about it. He just would not do it. And the instructor was yelling at him, you need to jump, you need to jump. And this boy was like, I'm just not going to do that. I'm not gonna, it's not going to happen. And finally, when the instructor was totally exasperated, he said, what would you do if the diving board was a sinking ship? And the unnerved recruit said, I'd wait till it sinks about 10 more feet then I'd go. And I know that's where a lot of people are in life. They say, I'll I'll take a bold step of faith, but I don't want it to be bold. I just want it to be a little step. That's where a lot of churches are today. They'll wait until it's broken, until they fix it. They wait until somebody complains before they decide. They'll wait. They push it off. And then by that time, it takes, it's too late. It takes courage to see God's vision and to take steps to carry it out. Bold steps are are frightening, but they're also exciting. Each step takes courage and boldness and everybody working together toward a common goal. Dwight Moody once said, the world is yet to see what God can do through a few people who are totally sold out to Him. It takes courage. Some of you today are facing a vision decision in your life. And maybe God's calling you to, to start homeschooling. Maybe God's calling you to adopt a child. Maybe God is calling you to be a foster parent. Maybe God is calling you to serve in some area of ministry, some capacity of ministry that you've never done before. Maybe to sing on stage or, or maybe to um, teach in the preschool ministry. How many of you know that takes a lot of faith, amen? And a lot of courage, a lot of fear goes along with that too. And, uh, but some of you may be called to do that. Um, some of you may, may think God needs to send me somewhere or start a business or do something creative in my life or go back and get my master's degree. Whatever it is, it takes courage to take those steps of faith. And then it requires action. Nehemiah two six, the king asked me, "How long will your journey take, and when will you get back?" If it it pleases the king to send me, so I set a time. I also said to him, "If it pleases the king, may I have a letter to govern to the governors of the Trans Euphrates, so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah." Nehemiah not only had a vision; he made a plan to carry it out. He set a time. He prepared a safe journey. Verse eleven. When Nehemiah got to Jerusalem, he looked over the work, and then in chapter three, he assigned the task to the workers. He had a plan. People often talk about blind faith, and there is an element of faith that's blindness because it wouldn't be faith if you knew everything. But in my experience, it's a whole lot better if you plan and if you prepare a good, solid plan will help to eliminate some of that fear. While there is going to be a step of faith, a bold step of faith, it's based on not only faith in God, but good, solid planning. It, planning. it takes preparation. It takes effort, but it's worth it. People or churches that are effective plan their work and work their plan. And I want you to notice something. Once Nehemiah had a plan of action, he started the work. There was a job that had to be done, and he did it. Nehemiah 2.17, I said to them, come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. They replied, let us start rebuilding. So they started the good work. One of the things I've found in life is that there are some people who ask what, and some people ask how. And those people who ask what, they're like, well, what are we going to do, and let's go do it. And there are some people who say, well, whoa, 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 what are the 10 steps, and I want all the details. And if I don't have all the details and all the I's dotted and all the T's crossed, we're not going that direction. And I think there's a balance. I I do know this, that what always precedes how. That that when we are motivated by the why and we're motivated by the what, what we're going to do, there are some how steps that are going to come. You need both. But I've learned there's some things you just don't know. If you point out to a mountain and say, I'm going to climb that mountain, you might be able to plan your steps ahead of time. You might be able to figure out the path, but I guarantee you there are going to be different steps than what you ever planned before. And those who ask too many hows will never take the first step. You have to say, what are we going to do? You have to plan out your steps, and then you have to be prepared to make alterations along the way churches and organizations and individuals go beyond the vision stage by planning and being effective. They've got to move beyond dreaming big dreams and actually move toward them. Listen to what Bob Russell says in his book, How God Builds a Church. So many people are afraid to act. Maybe they're lazy or afraid of criticism or afraid of making the wrong decision. Instead, they do nothing. If your church is going to walk by faith, there must be a bias for action among the leaders. Many of the disciples may have dreamed on walking on water, but only one took action. A lot of good ideas are floated in board meetings without anything ever getting done. They're discussed but not acted on. The idea gets tabled or channeled to a committee. And when the opportunity presents itself, there comes a time for decision and action. And one of the things that I respect about our management team and our staff here is that when we believe God is leading us, when there is an idea, when there is a vision, when there is a dream, I'm motivated by the fact that when they see that, they don't allow fear to overcome them. They move forward in faith, they test it out, they vet it out, they pray about it, and then they ultimately believe this is where God wants us to go. Lee Iacocla once said, a good leader makes a decision when 95% of the information is in. If you wait until 100%, it'll be too late. You need leaders in, either in your life or in your organizations or in church who will make the decision to act before they know 100% of the information. That's called faith. By the way, I'm, I'm glad that uh, I'm not turned around looking at that flickering light behind me. <clears throat> I just noticed that. Hey, y'all can come up here and just unplug those. That'd be awesome. One of you guys might have an, a seizure. I don't know, but it's good to just acknowledge the elephant in the room sometime. You know what I'm saying? Nobody's even heard one thing I said, and you're like, wow, wait a minute. Those lights are freaking me out. Thank you, Roy. Appreciate that that's good (laughs) oh let's just go back to the beginning of this message shall we (laughs) i'm just kidding number four faith requires commitment verse two of chapter six says they were scheming to harm me so i sent messengers down with this reply i'm carrying on a great project and i cannot go down i love that phrase That phrase has kept me in this thing before. You know why? Because there have been times where you will face criticism and hardship and difficulty. And in my own mind, I have thought, I'm carrying on a great project and I cannot go down. Isn't that a great line? Any time that a church or individual seeks to accomplish something great... Someone will be out there ready to criticize it and be scheming to harm them. But Nehemiah knows the secret to success. I'm carrying on a great project. I cannot go down. I cannot be distracted. I'm focused on doing what God has called me to do. Faith takes commitment. It means seeing a project through. I've learned this. Effective churches, effective people have incredible resolve. They're willing to keep going after year after year, staying focused on God's vision. It does not come right away. It takes time for the vision to happen. And so these churches just work their plan, win more people, more and more people to Christ. They serve more and more needs. And just over time, God just blesses and blesses and blesses. But it takes real commitment. Anytime you do something great, it's going to take real resolve to do it and to see it through. I like to call it, um, optimistic pursuit. Um, there, there was a book that Dad and I was were writing, and I really need to get back to it. But on leadership, we're about a hundred pages in, and it happened. We were writing it as Dad was sick, and then eventually passed away. But one of the chapters, we talk about this issue: optimistic pursuit. That it's not just optimism. Leaders don't just have optimism. They don't just have this idea that something's going to get better somehow. And they don't just have pursuit. They don't just attack something and just say, well, whatever, it might or might not happen. I'm just going to keep going. It's not just determination. It's optimistic determination. It's optimistic pursuit. It's going after something optimistically and staying with it. Now, when you have that kind of faith, there's some results. I'll go through these quickly. But the first one is it generates enthusiasm. Verse 17 says, Then I said to them, You see the trouble we're in. This is chapter 2. Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us start rebuilding the wall of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God upon me and what the king had said to me. They replied, Let us start rebuilding. So they started the good work. They got behind the project. They worked enthusiastically together. They saw the vision together, and people joined in with excitement. Big goals create enthusiasm. Our hearts beat faster as we wander together into the future, and we wonder, what will God do? Can we do this, or better still, can God do this among us? And the enthusiasm builds as we start to see momentum happen. And when we are challenged to do something, it creates this incredible amount of enthusiasm. I I love being a part of teams. I'm loyal to my teams that I'm on. I I love to be a part of a group of people that says we're going to accomplish something together. In college, I was uh, I lived in a dorm at my college at Milligan College. There were two men's dorms back then, and one was like the old, established, less students were in there, but it sort of had like a mystique about it. Pardee Hall was the older dorm, and and uh, smaller, it was kind of an upperclassman dorm. They always had the best pranks. And then there was Webb Hall. Webb Hall was bigger, more institutional, housed many more underclassmen. That's where I lived, and and uh, somewhere in the middle of this, some guys that were with me just decided, we really have to change the tide here. This is ridiculous. Uh, we wanted to, we're just going to stay in Webb Hall the entire four years. Uh, but we got to get over this inferiority complex and all that stuff. And so a few friends of mine, we set out to change the perception. If Pardee did a prank, we did a bigger one. If they could sunbathe on the porch, we went to the roof. Um, and, uh, and, and if they could take the buffalo, we could throw it in the bottom of the pool, for example. Might have happened. Somebody did that. But there's a day in the spring where this thing really comes to a head because there's always a tug of war on a day called Wonderful Wednesday. Wonderful Wednesday is a time where the Social Life Committee puts notes under everybody's door and says, hey, we're off for school today. Uh, Enjoy the food. Enjoy the fun. And they have this huge day planned with all this fun stuff. And at the end of the day, it's culminated with uh, a tug of war between the dorms, party Hall and web Hall, and it's over the little river there, and uh, ultimately always, every year, Webb Hall gets wet, and party goes on and celebrates. It was really a terrible, terrible deal, but my, my senior year, we decided, we're going to win this thing. This is ridiculous, and so our first strategy was to get Big John from Breathitt County, Kentucky. He was a 300-pound offensive lineman type guy, and we made him our anchor. We're just like, your job is to wrap the rope around you and just sit there. Just sit there. Like, just do that. 300 pounds of just pain, just sitting there on one side of the hill. The rest of us, we're not just going to tug. We're going to do a little tug and release strategy. We planned our steps. Little tug and release strategy. Tug, pull, release, pull, release. And that day, we strained. We pulled. We yelled. And in 1992, we stayed dry. And you should have seen the celebration. It was just as if we won the Olympic gold medal. It was often awesome. It was a celebration. What enthusiasm. And the next year, they tore Party Hall down, and there was much rejoicing. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. You know, there is something about a common goal that just motivates us and stirs people. Something about getting involved in what seems impossible at the time, and yet bold steps are taken. And I'm just encouraging us: Take those bold steps in your life. Take those bold steps of faith in your life. And, and if you're not sure what those are, join up with the church. The cool thing with the church is God gets the credit for the bold steps. Walking in faith, it also stimulates prayer. Chapter 1, verse 4 says, When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Walking by faith stimulates prayer. If you have a big task, you pray more. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. If your goal is to move a molehill, you don't need much faith. But if your goal is to move a mountain, you need a lot of faith and a lot of incentive to pray. What we're talking about is in your life, making bold steps of faith that require you not just to lean upon your own effort, but to lean upon God. Mountainous goals motivate you to get on your knees and seek an outpouring of God's grace. Bold faith produces big challenges, and big challenges stimulate prayer, and prayer results in miracles. Number three, walking by faith motivates sacrifice. Chapter four, verse six, we rebuilt the wall till it ha- reached half of its height for the people worked with all of their heart. People respond to an inspiring challenge. I believe that people today want to be part of something great, some incredible move of God. And when they are part, they are willing to sacrifice time and energy and resources to see that it's accomplished. I've heard before that the church is the most leadership-intensive organization in all the world. They say, well, how is that? He said, when it comes to the military, you can be like, do this or drop and give me 20, right? There's incentive. I can't be like, go work in the nursery or drop and give me 20. It just doesn't work that way. Uh, Some people are like, well, in your job, what's the incentive in your job? Well, you get a paycheck. And if you don't do certain things, you might get released or you might get, uh, there might be discipline. Well, that doesn't work here either. And so really in the church, leadership is it's interesting because it's all intrinsic motivation. It's, there's nothing external. You might say, look, work hard all your life, sacrifice, give, um, serve. And one of these days when you die, you're going to have heaven as your reward. And God's going to bless you. And, and that's all true. But really what motivates us is an intrinsic motivation that says there must be something beyond this life. There's got to be something that I want to be a part of that's bigger than me. And it's not because of any incentive. It's not because somebody said you're going to get these 10 rewards. It's not because they said you're going to get these 10 benefits. It's because you believe in your heart that there is something you're a part of that is bigger than you, something that motivates you. I love our staff team here. Our staff team, we only have two full-time staff members, me and Josh. That's it. The rest of our staff is all either dual income or they are part-time or they have a spouse that works and they're all part-time, and our interns, our freshman interns are here for the next um, three years without compensation. Our sophomore interns are here for the next two years without compensation. Here's what I'm saying. There is a large team here. People ask me, how many people you got on your team? I'm like, well, 12. <laughs> how do you guys do that? You're at church like 250. You have 12 people on your team? Yes, we do. How do you do that? We have two full-time staff members, and all the rest of them are part-time. And you say, well, what's the motivation? The motivation is they're part of something bigger than themselves. The motivation is that it makes a difference. They're making a difference in the lives of your kids right now in the other building. They are helping. They are serving. They are part of something bigger than themselves. Walking by faith motivates sacrifice. Number four, walking by faith elicits criticism. I referred to this a minute ago, but chapter 2, verse 19 says, When Sanballat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite official, and Geshem the Arab heard about it, they mocked and ridiculed us. I think their problem was they were mad at their mom and dad for naming them Sambalot, Tobiah, and Geshem. I die regress. Chapter 4, verse 1 says, when Sambalot heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed, and he ridiculed the Jews. Always when you do something great, there will be people who say, you can't do it. There will always be people who criticize. There will always be people who say, why don't you do it this way or do it another way? Or They'll just be in the stands. They'll be like a parent to a Junior high basketball game against the refs. You ever been there? The refs doing a pretty decent job, but they don't hardly get paid anything. The parents are like, ah, oh, go back to Foot Locker. Get some eye spectacles. You're terrible. You know. And there will always be people like that in the sidelines who say, you could do it different. Coach, why don't you learn to coach? I've just learned over the years, you can never let your critics determine your direction. You just can't. You have to believe what you believe about what God and what he's calling you to do. You have to hear the advice of people that are good counselors and care about the mission. But those who are on the sideline who just offer criticism, I've learned, that while I can give ear to it, while I can be concerned about their feelings, we cannot let critics determine direction. And the good news is here at Axis, we've had very little of that. We've had a lot of unity over the years. A lot of people joined together and said, let's do something great together, and it's a real blessing to be a part of that. Number five, walking by faith produces harmony. And this will be my last one. Although all through Nehemiah, you see God's people working together. And especially in chapter three, they, you see this whole list of people in their family lines that are all working on the wall, working on the wall, working on the wall. They're just doing it, not because they're receiving compensation, but because they're receiving their reward just in the fact that they care about the mission. They care about seeing this thing be built together. And one of the things, one of the reasons Christians often bicker among themselves is that there is no challenging goal that's put before them. And when there's no challenging goal, it's like, well, let's just focus inwardly and we'll fight. And like I said, we've been blessed to not have a lot of that here, but I've seen it over the years. Uh, I remember Max Lucato writing on this one time where he talked about he was going to go fishing with some friends, and it was pouring rain. They took the camper. They were going out. His dad took them. They were going to go fishing and. And they were in the camper, and they woke up that next day, and it was just pouring rain. They're like, well, we can't go out fishing this. It's too bad. So let's just stay in. We'll just play board games. That'll be fine." Like, hey, they had a great time that first day. Second day came. It was pouring rain. The second day, they said, oh, man, we can't go back again. So we're just going to play these board games again. And they started getting frustrated with each other. And they started getting annoyed with playing these board games. And by day three, it was pouring even more. They're like, these are the dumbest board games I've ever played in my life. And by day four, they just quit, packed up, and went home. Never did they fish. Never did they throw a line out. And here's this, this principle. He said, "Those who are called to fish when they don't fish, they fight. And I've seen that happen in organizations, and I've seen it happen in churches, where people when they're not called to, when they're called to fish, but they don't fish, they end up fighting. They end up focused inwardly rather than outwardly. And I, again, I love the fact that we have been unified together over the years. We've said we have a great task. And we don't have time to have for the other things that often happen in the church. Soldiers in the barracks will sometimes bicker and fight with one another, but soldiers on the battlefield stand united because they need each other. And we may think, well, wow, bold steps of faith are impossible, but that's when we're reminded Jesus said, with man it's impossible, with God all things are possible. Or how about this verse from Ephesians chapter 3? Next week, we're going to start the series 1. We're going to talk about one church in two locations. Again, you need to be there Saturday night, but then next week, next Sunday, we're going to start this series. We're going to talk about the details of this. But it begins with this passage in Ephesians 3 and Ephesians 4. And this is the opening to this passage in Ephesians 3. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or even imagine. According to what? According to our power? No, according to His power. His power that is at work within us. To Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. God, we give you thanks today for loving us and for giving us over the years inspiring vision. And God, I pray for everyone in this room. There is someone seated in this room Who's decided to go back or they're thinking about getting a master's degree, maybe a doctorate degree. They want to be a teacher. And so, God, I pray that they would have the vision, the power, the strength to do that. God, there's somebody in here who says, I, I don't really like what my school is doing. I, I'd like to homeschool my children, but I've been afraid. And so, God, I pray for them that they would have the strength, the vision to say, I want to, I want to take that step of faith. Someone in here today, God, maybe want to be a foster parent. They've thought about it a long time, but they've never actually gone through the classes. Or maybe they did go through the classes and they haven't yet taken that step of faith. Or someone who wants to adopt a child. Maybe they can't have a child on their own. Or maybe they can, but you have a second generation for them now. Another opportunity. They've raised their children. And now, God, you're laying on their heart to to add someone to that family mix. Or maybe, God, there's someone in here who said, I want to start a business. I want to do something with my life that is going to impact people in a positive way. And I've researched it, but, but I've never taken the step. I've never actually jumped. Or maybe God, somebody wants to serve in a ministry here. They want to get involved in the local church, and they say, we want to serve in a way we've never served before. I, I can sing, I can play an instrument, but I've, I've allowed fear to overtake me. God, maybe there's someone today who when we think about opening another campus, That causes fear or anxiety. But maybe there's somebody here today who says, I think I could help. I'm not being used in this location. I I just haven't jumped on board. But but I want to be an early adopter and I want to serve in some capacity there. And God, whatever it is, I, I pray today that you would give us the boldness and the vision and the courage to take bold steps of faith. And God, I pray that in the end, that as we do that, just like Nehemiah, that the goal will be accomplished. And God, that uh, many people will be impacted with the cause and for the sake of Christ. Thank you, God, we pray in Jesus' name.